Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Episode 322. Roll out 240 with Lori Welcome to the Pursuit of the Perfect Race. I'm Coach Terry Wilson, and with each episode, I bring stories of athletes to you that share their experiences at races in order for you to learn how to have your perfect race. We will hear stories from athletes of all ages, abilities, and races of all distances. So regardless of where you fit in, there's something in there for you. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the pursuit begin. Station's here, not like marathon aid station. 
ones yeah, I've done. Um, as far as the, big, the biggest ones I've done, I've done Lead Love twice, Finish that twice. I attempted Hard Rock last year in DNF at Mile 59. Um, I've done the North Face Endurance Challenge Championship race in California, San Francisco. I've done that three times. That's probably one of my most favorite um, races because it really sets the bar as um, speed and endurance and uh, reliable trail. And you have to push yourself and then that one is one you can really just knock yourself out on and see and, and see where you stand with other competitive athletes. Um, and then I've done a whole range of other 50 milers. I did Cruel Jewel this year, which was a 100 mile race. That was my hard rock qualifier this year. And I've uh, done Mohion Monster 100 mile and Bitcoin 100 mile. Um, so you're familiar with the distances. You're not, you're not an amateur. You're not an amateur person. We're going, hey, well, I'm here. <laughs> you, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I've been, um, I've been racing um, ultras for probably getting close to 10 years now, seven, 10 years. Um, and I've been racing as competitively as I can. Um, so, yeah, I've got the whole range. I think probably my favorite, if I had to say what my favorite distance is, I think it's the 50 mile. Like the combination of endurance, and it kind of takes the bulls to the extreme for me. Um, and, and, you know, no matter how bad a day you have, you still are done in time to have like dinner and a beer, even if it's like late. <laughs> right. That's the one nice thing about this water. <laughs> so, I did hear you say you did a bad water. Do you want to do bad water? No, I have no desire to do bad water. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, but no, I just, I am not a big fan of beef bones and, and roast. <laughs> so, I love trail. Now, I love the desert, but I really like the high desert. Um, and so, you know, my wife's about as low desert as I like to get. Um, and I lived in Arizona for a while, so I grew up some in Arizona. So Arizona has a special feel to me, and, and Utah, that area, reminds me a lot of northern Arizonans. But that's about as much desert as I want to get. Okay. Um, let's talk about the training going into this race. What's this like for you? Because you have to have some of your shoes, you have to train. I mean, you know, I've trained a lot. Yeah. What's all this look like? Yeah, so I, I, I work full time and I have kids. So my training is, um, and my, my kids are a little older, so they're a little more self sufficient. They're 20, 16, and 12. Um, but still, my routine is typically I get up anywhere between 3.45 and, and 4.45 and start my day. Um, and I'm running during the week. It's, it is a run. It's, 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 yeah, I live in town. Um, so I'm really running during the week, early morning, anywhere from, gosh, depends on the day, 5 to 15 miles a day. Um, and then Saturdays are my long day, and I usually can't, <laughs> I've gotten lasers, I've gotten older, because the kids aren't like, you know, they don't really care where I'm at until at least noon, so I have a little bit more time. Um, but I typically get up early Saturday mornings also to try and, I, my goal is to try and be done by noon. So I can have a day with family. <laughs> I just you know if it's a six hour run, I want to start a little earlier in the dark if it's a four hour run. Um, that's usually when I do my long runs on Saturdays. And then I usually have Sunday off um, until I get later, closer to the race time, you know, more volume. I'll have back to backs on Saturdays and Sundays. And usually those are earlier sometimes. Um, like I said, as the kids have gotten older, I can sneak by and, and spend the day with them and start my long run around four o'clock in the afternoon. And Late. Um, but it's all running. I don't, um, I, I don't like doing anything else per se. I'm not, um, I don't, I hate 
could help. Um, when I was doing when I was training for Hard Rock, I used to the stair climber a lot, um, or not a lot, some. Uh, we live in Oklahoma, so there's not a lot of, uh, there's some big hills, but there's not mountains. So um, I didn't have to incorporate that some. But for this race, I didn't, um, it's, it's not, you know, it had, it had over 30,000 feet of climbing in this race. But um, over 240 miles, that's not, you know, that's not the end you can get on the stair climber per se. I just needed some big hills here and there and, and to be able to, to get some of that. But um, my mileage, I'm fairly low mileage runner. I mean, I'm 47. Uh, I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of issues, but I have a coach, and so, um, and, and he helps me kind of keep the life style balance, you know, because it left my own devices. I would run, you know, insecurity kicks in, and I would run probably way more than I, sh- than I could. Maybe not necessarily than I should, but more than I could, and I would break down. Um, and, and the other areas of my life would be thrown off balance, too. So um, I would say I'm a fairly low mileage runner compared to um, others, or obviously compared to those who were in the lead. Um, and so after my thought is here, you said that you were getting up at 345, getting at 5 to 15 miles during the week, and then going out for a six hour long run, you were calling yourself a low mileage runner. Um, yeah. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> I guess that's a big word. I guess it's all relative, isn't it? Um, so I don't do anything else for a run. I don't, like, I don't swim. Um, I don't do much. I don't really cross train. I do, well, I've done some strength work. I need to do more. That's one thing we figured out, I think, with this race is that my core, um, my, my core fell apart. <laughs> um, but so my mileage varies. It, 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 it escalates. I do blocks. I do training blocks. And my coach is a big part of this than me. And that's one of the nice things about having a coach. So I don't even have to think about it. I just let it go. Okay, this is what I got to do today. I don't really care why. <laughs> I just know it works. <laughs> So I, I'm not very good at explaining my training routines. I don't understand it real well. My coach does better. But basically, we kind of stack. And week, week one, I might do, and this is just kind of an average training block, week one might be 30 miles. And so I have like two or three days off. Week two might be 45 miles. Uh, and week three, a back block might be 55 or 60 miles. Um, and then the yeah, we do big jumps. Um, I mean, okay, so normally, I mean, at least from my understanding of training and coaching, delivering a chunk of, let's go from 30 to 45, that's a marginal chunk of at least 20%. Yeah, sometimes. Um, so, and I may be off a little bit. Yeah. So, kind of most recently, my blocks have looked like um, I have a recovery. And that recovery, and that's one thing we've changed in the last year or two. My recovery week is really a down, down week. I mean, I like 20 to 35 miles at the most on a, a recovery week. And then the next two weeks on the last block, the next two weeks looked like uh, 65 and 65 miles. Um, and then there was the next block was down to 30 miles and then um, 60 and 70. Um, and then, you know, right before I tapered, I got up to 100 miles. Um, there was only one week in my training, in any training block. Maybe it was my last training block, but I made it to 100 miles. Um, but yeah, I was in one week, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, as far as your personal confidence, 
was going into a race of 240 miles single stage. What boxes did you want to check along the way of saying, okay, I'm ready for this race if I do XYZ? There is an XYZ um, that equals a finish um, because it's more, it, it, you know, the two are from distance. There's physical things. So I guess there is, I guess that's kind of a contradiction. Um, I would say no injuries or relatively no injuries. Um, being able to complete all of my training runs, essentially, um, those are huge for me. Um, getting all of the miles that are prescribed in, and that's my coach's job, so I don't have to think about it. Just making sure I finish I do everything. Um, I do all, I, I put all the training in, that I did every strength workout, that I did everything physically that I was supposed to do um, based on my training plan. Um, and, and ideally, I'm injured. Um, those are kind of the big things because I kind of go in, I trust my coach. I've been working with him for seven years, so, and I've finished many, many, many ultras and I've done very well. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you. 
she has in Iran. And, and you know, and, and so it's just little things like that that people would say, um, or, oh, it must be so nice to have a husband who blah, 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 you know, or, um, well, who watches your kids when you do those runs on Saturday? Don't they miss you? You know, I mean, those comments you would get. It's just like, I have, I have understood, like, this from the podcast that women are more harmful to other women, especially when they're their moms. Oh, yes. It's like, it's it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like they don't meet you up and early and don't never even bring it up. They don't have to hear. Okay, so that was worth this week. Like, treat you just like an equal, but they're totally one another because they're mom and they're doing mom things versus, and I would say being selfish, I don't mean it kind of is, but at the same time, it's like, well, if you don't put your foot down, say, hey, this is my time, nobody else is going to do that. Right, right. So, so how did you deal with all these daggers getting thrown at you? My husband, Todd always, always, always supported me and was like, go, you do this. And he, um, and there, I, I think if, if my husband had even any ounce of guilt throwing, it would have ended me. Um, but because the person who loves my kids as much as me, um, loves me as much as me, uh, I guess loves me as much as my, loves my kids as much as I do, and still would say, you see this, you're good. I knew if he was okay with it, I would still be a good mom. You know, if he thought I was a good, he wouldn't let me be a bad mom. He wouldn't let, he wouldn't let my kids have a bad mom. He wouldn't let my kids have a bad mom. So him actually saying that you're good and meeting it with no sarcasm, no resentment, like that true communication is valuable. And that's it. Yeah, huge. That's huge. And he also runs. So um, he's not, he, he doesn't compete. <laughs> he's like the most laid back ultra runner. And, and he's one, so if you want to talk about good training, he is one like run. 15 miles in one week and go, yeah, that 50 miler, you know, and I'll be like, um, honey, <laughs> let's talk about this. I, I don't think it's a good idea. And then it pisses him off. He's like, ah, don't do it. <laughs> you know, and he does it. Uh, now, granted, it takes him a while, but, and he sort of afterwards, um, but he'll, you know, he'll do it. So, you want to talk about the zero training? People go out there and do nothing. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
this race is a little bit different with the heat group in the radius. You'll pick up a bit more, basically, and I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, so, um, so you know, kudos to Destination Trail, Candace for the whole team, the photography team, everybody out there. Um, there there's a little village there at the, um, at the start and finish, um, and there's a few vendors, like three, <laughs> uh, and we have a pre-race meeting, mandatory, uh, which is about 30, 45 minutes long. You pick up your bids, we do medical check-in, and basically for the medical check-in, it's like, do you have any bigger illnesses? No, good, don't have fun. Um, it's not anything, you know, they don't check our blood pressure and weight and all that kind of stuff. There's none of that, which under the medical field is actually, there, there's great evidence to say that's stupid anyway. It doesn't work. You can tell if someone is dehydrated or overhydrated by federal parameters and looking at their weight um, and at the distraction. Um, it may even be detrimental. So, um, great medical team. I mean, they had a legitimate physician led medical team um, out there on the court. Um, so, yeah, we just check in and then you show up race morning and you get your number, you get your bib, and we get our GPS saw trackers and show up, show up in the morning and we all promise that if we, if we, uh, get lost, if we, uh, die, it's our own damn fault and then the gun goes off. Yeah, I saw the storm last year and I was like, I was like, I don't really know that. And it gets a little more. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, before we really get started with the race, we have to talk about your training. Just one more question with your training. Did you listen to music during your training, or are you completely old school, no music, no podcast, no music? What do you think of Everyone's different. Everyone's different. Um, when I first started training years ago, I used to music uh, because I was like running is supposed to hurt and it's painful and I must round it out to get through this day uh, of training. Um, and then uh, at one point, my coach actually said, hey, you know what, try just running without music and see how you feel. See if it makes a difference because I want you to try and focus on some of these things that you're doing when you're running, like, you know, your footstep and your cadence and your breathing and some of these other things. So just try going without music. And I did, and now uh, music distracts me for the most part. I mean, it irritates me because I can't. I can't hear the trees. I can't hear my feet. I can't hear my breath. I can't. I can't meditate and think about whatever I want to think about um, or think on at all. So I typically do not use music now. The only um, caveat to that is, this, and, and hundred milers, I don't even usually use music um, because they're the ones I pick are are in the mountains, the terrain and the people and the beauty and it's so it's amazing. I don't need music, but I did use music for Moab. Um, and unfortunately my headphones did not work well at Moab and it pissed me off. But um, I did use music through the night um, at Moab just because it's a long, really long time. We have not using music on some long runs and now you're doing a lot of your long runs without music. Tell me a little bit more about your mental toughness because you have to be really comfortable in your own mind with this long time. I mean, you're going to have the same thought at least 20 times an hour. Yeah. So what's it like? Um, you know, I think, I think the key to that you said, and I didn't really realize it until we, until we talked about it, but I think um, being able to run without music was is 
huge for this type of race. So I, I, I would highly recommend anybody who's planning on doing some ultras to start practicing running without music. Um, just so you can be, because music is great. I have nothing. I love music. I listen to music all the time. I have to have music on at work and at home. I've got to have music. Um, but running, uh, and I love music, and I love listening to music when I'm running too, but uh, it teaches you, when you run without music, it teaches you to tune in to all of these things that you would not notice that are good. Um, you start noticing, and you start, you just start being able to meditate, you know, and you're in the moment. Um, so I, I and time, time just becomes irrelevant. Um, you know, I'm just hearing my breathing, and it's, it's sedating to listen to your breathing. You hear the, you hear those gravel crunch. To notice the little small twitch off to the left, the leaf rattle to the right. There's all of these other in the moment things that keep your mind comfortable and happy. Um, and then, and, and, and for some reason, those sounds create empathy. And um, I, I can't really explain that you have to experience it, but empathy for yourself. For the world, for everything in and around you, and that feeling is a feeling that brings greater comfort and joy than anything else. And, and you can just you can just be in it, um, you know, until vomiting or something else pulls you away. I don't even want to start to get explanation, I suppose, but um, I highly recommend. It's it's hard to do road running. Um, you know, when you're running downtown, during the week when I'm road running in the mornings, it's a little harder um, to run without music. It's, it's more of a nature thing, and I think it has something to do with nature. So when I'm out on the dirt roads or somewhere where there's trees, there's plant life, buildings, for some reason, buildings um, subdue that, and, it's, and, and that is, is not comforting. And, and so that's where I would need music. If I had to run in the city all day long, I would probably need music. There is something about nature and the um, the life that nature has that um, gives me energy. Okay. Um, so you get to a good race. You obviously have to have some kind of packing with us. If they have a 48 minute kind of briefing here that you have to go to, how do they tell you what kind of stuff to put in your packing list or what to be prepared yeah. for? You have to have mandatory gear. So um, you have to have a pack that would uh, hold at least three liters of water. Um, we have to have an emergency blanket, a whistle. Um, we have to require to have a hooded jacket, um, pants, um, a long sleeve shirt, a hat, gloves in our pack at all times. Um, and a a GPS device or our phone, basically our cell phone, with us to be able to uh, locate where we are on the course. If we got off course, you had to have GPS tracks. So we had to have something to get, you know, that we get access to see where we were on the course. And for me, that was my phone. I had it on Gaia apps. Um, I had the, the tracks downloaded. So I guess it's really cool. It's amazing technology. I mean, at any moment in time, I can look at my phone and I can tell if I was on the course or not. Um, so we had to have that. Um, yeah, because, oh, you know, we didn't have an extra battery, uh, battery to charge your phone or your whatever device. We also had to require to have a light, a headlamp, and a backup battery. So a, a battery charger or some, some capability of having a backup 
for light and for GPX tracks. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so, tell me about the crew. What's the crew look like in the AA stations for this course? How often are the AA stations? Where are they at? And what's the crew that you're using look like? So, the AA stations were anywhere from every 10 to, I think, the farthest one might have been 22 miles apart. Um, and so, you're looking at, you know, probably the fastest runners were moving at six miles per hour or seven miles per hour early on, maybe. So, you know, typically two hours, anywhere from two to eight hours to an aid station, depending on how fast or how slow you're moving. Um, yeah, I know. And uh, the aid stations were phenomenal. That's one of the things Destination Trail has done better than any other race organization I have seen is those aid stations are stacked. I mean, they have, they have excellent volunteers. They have a medical person there that knows what they're doing, um, knows how to take the deal with issues, like legit. Um, not like cousin Eric, you know, um, and the food, they had, uh, quesadillas, they had, there were a station that had grills, they had hot dogs and hamburgers cooking, they had, oh, oh, oh yeah, I still have so food in my stomach, I love that stuff, but I can't do guacamole for a while, I don't know when it's going to be, someday it's going to back out, because I love the stuff, but oh, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, wrap. Every stage is a ramen noodle, the typical stuff, ramen noodles and, and broth with mashed potatoes, um, fried potatoes. Some had pizza. Um, you know, there's always that ability to eat real, real hot food. But if you think about it, if you're going days, you can't do booze for days. You can't, your stomach, you will vomit it. Just the thought of a goo will kill you. Um, can't eat M&M's for 62 hours, you know, you can't eat potato chips for 62 hours, or 80 hours, you know, some of these people run for 112 hours, um, so they have real, real, really, really good food, there was nothing, nobody ran out of anything, and everybody had everything and anything you could ever want at every A station, they also had fires at most of the A stations, so you could get warmed back up, um, there were certain A stations that had sleep stations, so they had cots, little blankets, um, uh, and the ability to warm you up and, and let you sleep. Um, the trouble is, is, is the aid stations are noisy, so unless you, know, unless you can sleep with a lot of noise, it's kind of hard to do. So that's the aid stations of crew. Um, my crew was just was going to be my husband and two guys that I run with, Jared and James. Um, making sure I'm not missing anybody on that. That was going to be my crew. And then the plan was for my husband to drive the truck and have a sleeping bag in the truck. And a pillow, and they would meet me at each aid station. Um, I couldn't have a pacer or crew until I saw them once at like mile 18, and that's when everybody's happy. So they're like, hey, 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 you know, here's a cookie, ha, ha, you know. And then, <laughs> I mean, we're we'll in good spirits, just keep me on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's see what like that at mile 100, you know. So the next time I saw them, I didn't see them again until we didn't have crew ability until mile 72. Um, so that was at night. Thank you. 
that I'm needing to stop, and I actually do better if I don't stop. I've asked for, for a hundred mile raise. Um, because things, as you know, once you sit down, once you stop, everything starts to sit underneath. So I was really hoping to just kind of go, 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 and then crash when I needed to. But my crew was smart. They looked at me and they went, you know, just in the truck for 20 minutes. You go lay down, we'll get you food. You know, it's going to take you that long anyway to, to get refueled and get you to pack and all that kind of stuff. So they convinced me to get in the truck. I laid down. Right at 20 minutes, I started to doze a little bit. They came and got me. So I got a little rest and sleep early. Um, and then I took off with my first pacer. What I didn't expect was there were two guys that um, are friends of my husband's, friends of mine, that like a couple of weeks before the race or a few weeks before the race, um, one of them was like, you know, I'm going to pick up a trailer in Salt Lake City, and it's going to be like ready about the time of the race. I'm going to come and help. And I'm kind of like, I don't know, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, you know, when you have like someone you don't really know who's not familiar with ultras in the mix, you know, this could be good or could be bad. And he's like, you know, and Chad, Chad's, Chad's my buddy, and he wants to come to, he runs too, so he's going to come to and help. It's like, okay. Okay, this could be good or this could be bad. Um, it was phenomenal. These two guys came in. They, um, Shannon is his name. He's a, uh, a U.S. Marshal for Trinitarian Nation Marshal Services. Um, he's like, Mr. Gadget, he had everything. Um, and he had the back of his car, and he's super out back completely laid out, air mattress, super awesome sleeping bag, heated. I mean, so they were there. And so at the aid station, the, at the next one was mile. So we did 72, then we got around, got around a mile 100. Um, by then it was morning. I don't remember. I don't think I slept there either. Maybe dozed a little bit. We just got to change clothes, off to the next. And then we got to Shea Aid Station, um, which was around mile 120, I think. Could be wrong. And I got, I, I, I was having asthma and coughing and sick, and, um, and they stuffed me in the back of that car, and I slept solid for an hour. It's amazing. So um, my crew ended up being more than just um, the three. It ended up being five, <laughs> and they were phenomenal. And then, and then fortunately, Chad, the, one, the other guy that, was, um, that came on, has asthma and had an albuterol inhaler, so he saved my life um, with his albuterol. So it, it, it was magic. It was perfect. Wow. So uh, you get back to the start of the race. Yeah. Uh, I got way down the road. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm rabbit hole. So uh, before you get started, we know you need to have, uh, what, how did you need that now? 175. 175, okay. Um, that's more than an hour man to your own foot. Um, that's just phenomenal.
eat so much, um, especially as my brain would be foggier with less sleep, how many, how much calories I would need for the next stretch. So I just estimated my sleep. So you did that before the race, and then you just threw the cheese and said, okay, but this one kind of gets, and then you don't worry about it because you did the math beforehand. Right. Did the math beforehand. So what my cheat sheet said, so it would say, um, a master aid station leads with um, five hours of fuel and, and 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 three years of water. And based on that, and I would look at my ETA time and it would say, okay, you arrive at a master around 845, and I would see that it actually took me about 20 extra minutes. And I would know, you know, I might need to tack on a little bit more fuel and water because it took me a little bit longer than I thought, so it's probably going to take me a little bit longer than I need to the next one, too. So I could go off of that, but I would have at least a loose idea of what I would need for the next stretch. Because um, in, in the moment, it's hard to think, okay, the next aid station is how many miles and how many hours is that? And, you know, right. I, you I, think I, that, you're you're thinking that you do the framework before the race, and that way, you the race, your brain has to do less work. Or less, yeah. So I had that little laminated cheat sheet, and I would pull it out about a mile before the aid station. That was my that was my routine. Okay, when you get ten minutes in front of that aid station or a mile in front of that aid station, you're gonna pull that cheat sheet out. You're gonna see exactly what you need, and you're gonna go, "Am I on time? Am I behind or am I ahead? Um, and how much did I take the last go around?" Um, stick that back in. I walk into the aid station. I know exactly what I need for the next stretch um, within reason, and then I. Just try and load up on as many calories as I can eat at that moment in that aid station. Try and front load calories and then go. Because that would give me a, a little window as well. Okay. Um, so let's start talking about some of the more difficult moments here because by the time you get to mile 50, 60, 70 running, uh, you're getting to those places where it's dark outside, it's nighttime, you don't have a crew there to pace you yet. It's cold. It's, yeah. it's very cold. And it's windy. So what's the what's the atmosphere like not only there but also what's the nature like in your mind because it's so easy just to pull a plug and quit and you gotta be fighting demons out there all by yourself because there's out of here, there's nobody else around you, right? Right, right, right. So yeah, once um, really after after about mile thirty five, thirty two, um, there was one girl our paces were, were kind of different, so um, we separated just very, very, very gradually, and I was by myself from about mile 35 on to, or 30-something on to the next aid station, um, past a couple of people some having a hard time, um, and, and a few people taking some breaks on the side of the, the, the road, but otherwise I was by myself. Um, I was able to stick more uh, with my gear, but the trouble for me is as soon as I stop, matter how much warm clothing I have on, and even if it's relatively warm outside, I get cold fast. So I kind of have to stay moving. Um, I really didn't deal with a lot of demons. I was still feeling very, very good. The, the landscape was so vast and so beautiful, and the moon was cool. So you can still see, even with my headlamp on, I can still see all these massive rock formations, this huge, beautiful moon and stars, and um, my stomach was still happy, so I was still flipping along, and I did flip my music on at that point because it just, you know, it feels good to have some music. And so I was listening to some music and uh, came into that next aid station. And, and that's where, from that aid station on, the aid stations are, have a much more serious tone with the runners. You know, you can see in other runners' eyes and struggling. 
cold. Everybody gets cold as soon as they stop at the aid station, so they got to get by the fire fast. Um, it's about getting calories in and assessing what you need and, and hurrying up and getting back out. So, um, what are some tips that you give somebody that hasn't been in Oak Grove for the first 80 miles? What's some tips that you give them? Don't sit down. Don't stop. And don't, don't, don't sit down. Don't go for the chair. <laughs> Leave the chair alone. Uh, stay standing. I don't think. So, there's, there's two mantras. Maybe mantras are so that's it. But um, don't think, just do. Okay, I did all the thinking pre-race. I, have, I know what I need. I mean, think in, in, the, in the aspect of, of what you need, but only think about what you need to think about. You need to think about calories. You need to think about... Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
there was no runner there. And he said, does anybody have a head lamp? And I was like, oh, that's bad. That's a bad question to be asking right now. So my wife forgot to pack my head lamp in my pack. What are your responsibilities? like, why the fuck did you not check your bag before you left? And why did you let your wife pack your bag? You know, that's not letting. You don't let someone else pack your bag. Like, I'm sorry, doing triathlon, you don't let somebody else go over your bike unless they're mechanic. You don't let someone else pack all your stuff before you leave. Because you're not, they're not one racing. They don't care as much as you do. So, like, that's just, that was, that's it. Yeah, so, so that made me, I'm like, I, I was like, I'm in good shape. Thank God I'm on it. But you know what? At the aid station, the first day, I was having my Thank you. 
to because I don't know if you've ever been in an ultra. Well, you have. I have not. Well, I mean, the Ironman, you know, that's ultra. Um, to me, um, two miles can actually seem like forever. That can, if someone tells you two, you have two miles to go and you're running, well, and you're, if you're running at a point seven mile an hour pace, that's two miles. You're telling me I'm running at a point seven mile per hour pace either. Let me tell you that. I'm going to tell you you're running at two miles. Station would have been 72. 
Um, 
trying to stay straight and having a little bit of stomach issues, a little bit of breathing issues, that kind of thing. We finally squirrel our way up to the very top and um, go down. There's a, there was a two and a half mile down dirt road, which felt great. So some nice running there. And then a two and a half mile climb up the dirt road to Shea Mountain Main Station at mile 120. Um, and I did okay with that. I'm doing a little slower hiking up for the knuckles, up that two and a half mile climb, uh, a little slower than I'd like, but doing okay. So now we're getting close to evening. That 20 mile stretch was probably close to eight hours. Uh, so we're getting late afternoon um, into Shea A Station. Um, and as we got closer, I was having a harder time breathing. I was wheezing, I was coughing. I just felt everything tighten. What do you feel like the air temperature was at this point? Probably 50s. It was coming down, 60s, 50s. Uh, it was starting to get cooler. Um, and just, just I think all the dust and stuff, too, was kind of, it was taking my eyes off a little bit. And uh, we get into shade. As soon as I stopped, um, I started having, I the ring of puzzles, so the larynx kind of tightens in, and it goes with asthma. People with asthma have that, too. And it usually happens when you stop suddenly. Everything, it just spasms. You feel like you can't breathe. So I kind of started to panic a little bit. My husband was like, chill out. You're having a panic attack. You know? <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. And I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> so they're like, they get me into the looking bag and lay me down. Uh, and I start warming up. And I start chilling out a little bit. And the spasms settle down. I eat like two warm, amazing cheese quesadillas. And um, I heard. The guys say, the guys are like, number one and number two are here. You know, the first couple girls. And Jane, they're like, you gotta sleep. And so I passed out, out for an hour. I uh, woke back up and I can't remember if I left in first place or not. I think I may have. I think this was the, I don't know, somewhere I was in first place for a while. But we left the aid station. I think I was in first place at that point when we left. And um, we headed down, so we're at mile 120. It gets dark, headlamps are on. Uh, we head up three miles, two, three miles down a paved road, and then off onto a double track, really gnarly, kind of pale, gnarly, right out, rocky double track, kind of up and down. No, 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 this race, did you do any research on what the train's going to be like? Yeah, I do. Okay, so the answer is the deal on YouTube, I got it wrong. And come watch that. And the views are spectacular. And he does a very good job of illustrating what it's like walking through some of this course. And so it's a road and some of single track. It might be single track, but it's mud. Yeah. And it's just taking more energy, sapping energy out of you, just walking through this mud. Um, and I know about this time, there I mean, you got to be quite close the gap to that 48-hour mark of now two to three hours of sleep tops. And you're the end. Now you're close to the gap of 50 hours being awake, 55 hours being awake. Do you have any hallucinations yet? No. No. No hallucinations yet. I stayed pretty clear um, all the way through. That was kind of one of the things that my husband was saying. is like, one of the aid station um, people were like, man, she's like alert and with it. <laughs> So I, I maintained that. I had had, at that point, we were, we were closing in on 40-plus hours. I had had about an hour and a half, maybe two hours of sleep at that point. 
um, when we headed into the next segment, um, and we were on this double track, really rutted out. So like one of those, you know, when you see the Jeep commercials, you know, the really double track where like, you know, nothing but a high-clearance vehicle can like maneuver over these rocks and stuff. And that's what it was like for the next uh, 10 miles, 15 miles, those 15 miles. And I remember sand, oh my God, sand, sand. Yeah. Fortunately, the sandy parts were not long. There were not long stretches of it, but it was so deep and so life-sucking. Did you get sandy shoes? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And gators on, uh, which which helped, but it seeps in the, the material. So what happens is that sand just kind of seeps into the um, the material in the front in the toe box area because the gator doesn't come all the way over there, you know. And into the sides of the shoes where the gator shell completely cover, and your your shoe becomes like a concrete block. It's no longer flexible because it's got all that sand in there. It just becomes this stiff concrete block. Um, and then it's in your socks and in between your toes. And so every step, you're, you're basically sandpapering between your toes and your feet and your shoes. So don't be whiskers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, hence, uh, my feet don't look as, didn't look as bad as I did. Do pictures? I have pictures. Well, no. Uh, I don't know if we have, I think Shannon may have pictures. I want to pictures. Shannon, who loves the work, he's awesome, wonderful. Everybody else was kind of like, but my feet were, I mean, they're particularly, they had way worse, way worse than what I dealt with. But it was because my feet did actually really, really well. I screwed up at the end of the race, and we'll talk about that. But um, my feet did really well because I changed socks probably every 20 to 50 miles. I got those sandy socks off and wiped my feet down, got the sand and grit off that wore run goo. Um, that's a product I use. It's just a greasy, uh, I think it's called run goo, G-O-O, run goo. Um, it's just a greasy foot grease. Um, I would put that, I, so I would, I would take my socks off, you know, took baby wipes and wiped my feet down, got all the grit off and put run goo and my toe socks back on. And Gingy's best, I always wear those. Uh, toe socks back on, shoes back on, and no, I didn't change shoes um, because my shoes were good. Um, but if you never did concrete blocks. Yes, I probably should have changed shoes, but I didn't. <laughs> so for 2021, we need to do this again and change shoes. Yeah, I'm going to invest in a couple extra pairs. I just wasn't quite willing. I had already spent so much on shoes. I was like, I am not buying another crappy pair of shoes. Um, or like a 
trash came back, which was so amazing. You know, my stomach, and the more I ran, the more I squeezed, and then I would start dry heating and vomiting because it would, like, you know, squeeze all out. And then I would stop, and I would feel better, and the dose would go, and I would go, yeah, I can't figure out what it was. I kept thinking, do I have an ulcer? Is this, like, my gallbladder? You know, every practitioner's come on, they like, thinking, what medical problem is this? Can't figure out, can't figure out, can't figure out. And then finally I realized, oh, shit, it's muscle spasms. It's that all my abdominal muscles, my diaphragm, are spasming when I increase oxygen demand. So when I'm starting to breathe harder, when I'm starting, those muscles are beating more blood flow, more oxygen. They're cramping because they're not getting it. They're not getting what they need. And unfortunately, all what the only fix for that is to slow down and not consume as much oxygen, which means stopping or walking very, very, very slowly. So from mile um, probably 130 to 140, which was the next station, it was it was it was pretty slow. Um, there was a little running, there was a lot of hiking, there was a lot of dry heating, there was a little vomiting, uh, there was some moaning, um, a lot of packing, and poor James, my pacer, just survived it. Now, mile 140. Um, not to interrupt you too much here, but in a way, suddenly Joe James, I think I'm dying. But that comes later, like the one that that's not, Yeah, that's not yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not here. You are starting to already think of this mentally way before that. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this was the session as where this is where my heart and my head, I knew my body wasn't quite done. I could, I could probably problem solve through this. But my heart and my head were having a hard time here. And I was like, I really want this to end. This sucks. Um, and that's not how I wanted to end. I don't want to end the race ever thinking, this just sucks and I don't like it anymore. Um, so I just muddled through. We got to mile 140. Again, I just, so that's again where you flip the switch and you say, don't think, just do. And that's what I did for the next, until I got to mile 140. Um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not dying. I'm not freezing. I'm moving. So don't think, just do. Just do. And just do that. Try to get calories in. Try to sip fluids and move as fast as you can. And don't judge yourself. If you gotta bend over, bend over. If you gotta stop, you gotta stop. And just do. Don't think. Don't think about it. Just do. Don't think about what's ahead. Just do. Just get to the next aid station. Problem solved. That's all you gotta do right now. And at the next aid station, this is where you had pizza. No. And my pacer was like, just let her go. He <laughs> saw how bad I was. He's like, just put her in a sleeping bag and let her go. When she wakes up, she wakes up. Don't mess with her. So they did. They put me in, and I slept a solid hour. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
less than two miles per hour, and I knew we had at least seven, 17 miles to go. So, how do I say it? Like, I may not be right. So, yeah, about 17 miles, I think. So, you might have two miles per hour, 17 miles, that's at least 10 hours. Assuming, I'm, I'm assuming I'm hitting two miles per hour. So, I knew it was probably going to be more like 12 hours to the next aid station, which meant if it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock, it's going to be 5 o'clock in the morning when we get there. Exactly. So, you're not using music, you only have a pace with the air, and you're right. long. Right, like, right. This is mentally, mentally pretty tough. Yeah, this was, a, this was a tough spot, but it really wasn't a low spot. My lowest spot had been on that segment where I was having the goats kicking and vomiting and eating, and I was not happy. This was, I was feeling good here. I mean, you know, mentally, mentally and emotionally, I was good. Um, and so I was like, all right, I got pizza. I was so happy for pizza. That was like, I was so happy. I gave Nina, I saw Nina again. Um, he came in, he was having trouble with the shins. And I gave Nina a little piece of my pizza, um, but not more than I could bear part with. But I came in a little. Sugar. So, so uh, just to fast forward a little bit here, and we have a black hole 
it was shivering. Um, I had no more layers. And I was, my stomach was cramping constantly. It was not stopping, period. Even though I had tried adding just water, see if I could absorb that piece that I was still sitting on my stomach. It wasn't working. Um, so I knew I wasn't going to get any faster. I was going to get colder. We were going to get higher. And at some point, someone was going to have to rescue me. So we could either do it now or we could do it in an hour or two. But it was going to happen. So you saw the inevitable coming? I saw the inevitable coming. There was no way in my mind I was going to get to the next aid station without being cold rescued. Um, Because I was getting colder, there was no way to warm me up without making me move faster. The only way I would get warmer is if I could move faster. Um, The only way I could move faster was if I absorbed food in my stomach. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out any other way to get it ha- to happen. Um, so that, that, when I started feeling kind of lightheaded and confused, and I just remember looking at James and saying, I think I'm done. And James is, is a really hard ass. He would not agree with me if he thought there was even a tenth of a percent of a chance that I could get to the next space station. He would not let me quit. I knew that. And he nodded his head and he said, you are done. And uh, that's when he, I, we started problem solving. Okay, who do we call? How do we do this? So fortunately, he had a healthy cell signal called Todd. Uh, we put me in my emergency blanket and laid me down. And um, that was an emergency blanket. Started the recovery process then. Started the recovery process, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about 30 minutes at the most, which is phenomenal. You know, it gets pulled off and rescued off the coast in 30 minutes. It's hours, usually. It's hours. I was very lucky. So, yeah. So, you recorded the DNA app, and what happens next? I mean, do you start feeling stronger for yourself? What's the mental state that you're in? Some things, my back, my legs, my asthma, 
get Dave, get to sun up, wait till sun up, and then try the ascent in the warmth of the day with a rested stomach. I don't know that I would have made, I haven't done the time calculations. I don't know if I, if I would have had time and missed cutoff or anything like that. I would have made it. But I have a sneaking suspicion if I had done that, I think I still would have had time. I could have made it. It would have been 112 hours. But I think I could have done that. Um, but I don't think mentally I was I was there where I would be willing to go back four hours. Right. Um, so the kind of informally talk another three hours about this kind of race. Um, unfortunately, we're running, running out of time. Sure. Um, what is the biggest learning takeaway that you learned from this event? Wow, that I have a whole lot more mental fortitude, emotional fortitude than I, than I thought. I can do more than I thought I can. I can do more. I, I can do more than I think I can. Um, and I and I think I can do even more. Um, and that's so encouraging. It's so encouraging to think that I can, I can do more than what I just did. That wasn't it. You know, that wasn't it. Um, and so that's why I'm going to go back someday. Right. Now, I know we didn't mention it or anything, but there's somebody that had to a book on this course, David Goggins. Did you see him? No, I didn't. And I didn't know he wrote a book. I'm, I don't know who David Goggins I'm sorry. I, I live in my home alone. I have three kids. I work full time. I don't know who David Goggins is. I just heard his name and I knew he got off course like by 18 miles and then I knew he went to like the hospital and then he came back to Mars or, and that he like flew around the world a couple of times like Superman and saved a few people along the way. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just I started hearing more and more about this David Goggins person. Like, he's back on the course. He's been to the hospital. He's coming back to the race. You know, I'm just like, who is this guy? And, Okay, well, you can see that. I'm sorry, I don't know. Yeah, well, you can see that. 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 You can see that.
was a bucket list. I'm not sure which one. I don't think the actual UTMB because I don't like that many people. Um, but like TDS or CCC. Um, yeah, one of those. Or uh, I, uh, For people that aren't familiar with these races, explain them a little bit. They're crazy European mountainous races with millions of people.
calling. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. I look forward to following you. Best wishes on your ultra. Thank you. You have a good day, okay? Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you were able to learn something from today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see pictures from this athlete's race, learn more about who I am, what I'm doing, or be on the show yourself to share your story, check out my website at CoachTerryWilson.com. Until next time, continue the pursuit. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.